When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to System Mastery, the podcast, if you're okay with podcasts, that beats, or doesn't, we, we're not in charge here, a dead, possibly sea sidebar, horse, or other animal, 1d6 damage at a time. The d6 is sacrosanct. Do not adjust. This week, we're diving back into the old school renaissance, or rules, or revival, or whatever it is, as we discuss White Box, fantasy medieval adventure game. Or not, if you don't want us to. Please like us. Please be kind to System Mastery. everybody welcome back to system mastery it's some kind of podcast some kind of amazing mechanical machine made show hi sure. i'm jeff sure it is yeah yeah <laughs> we're made by machines we are now. we're made by machines and we're amazing and mechanical i don't know steam powered probably probably we're some kind of fantastic automaton i assume that definitely we're, we're marvelous mechanical men that's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> or at least we will be in our brand new comic book coming soon to movies or comic book stores. <laughs> uh, that's real sad because it's so true. But yeah. The, it, our new comic coming to movies. Especially if you're that one guy, what's Vaughn or whatever his name is, where like he seems to only make comics that get made into movies immediately. Yeah. Like yeah. they just, whatever, what do you got? What do you got? He's like, I don't know. It's a comic book about a guy. So it's $20 million movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh man he gets a lot of shows so that's right he's the one who gets a lot of shows okay yeah, yeah. he does get a lot of shows he does like the boys and stuff that's is that, is that he's him? got boys is that him is he the boys brian k vaughn yeah i don't know i don't know i don't remember what he does uh, i know he exists How kirkman about that? gets a shitload of shows he's also another one who, who did why the last man uh vaughn one, one of those two yeah yeah, one of those two. Yeah, anyway. Kirkman did Walking Dead. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's and Invincible, the, I and, believe. Yeah, and, and Invincible. That's the neat part. You don't. See, I did the meme. <laughs> what? <laughs> the meme from Invincible. The only meme I know of from Invincible. Well, I guess there's two, but they're, they're, they're both what's a mustache, oh, mustache oh, daddy. Oh, yes. Yeah. Where he's like, yes, when, yes, when yes. do I get a turn? He's like, that's the neat part. You don't. You know, it's just mustache daddy. Yeah, Mustache Daddy. I have not watched Invincible, so. Aw, you're missing out on some J.K. Simmons. No, I know. I'm probably going to. I, I love that animation style. I like J.K. Simmons a whole lot. One of these days, I'll, I'll uh, watch it, so I'll just put yeah. it on my list. It's good. Great. Uh, the one I will never finish is Arcane. I just won't. I'm sorry. <laughs> just, just won't. People push me too hard. Just refuse. Uh -huh. <laughs> just like an angry donkey <laughs> digging in. That's correct. <laughs> I will never know. What all my friends are so excited about. Yeah. And it'll feel great to not. And it, it feels good. Yeah. Every time they go, oh, I don't watch that. I'm going to just be over here on my phone. I swear, that's a that's a solid reason right there to be, like, anti-social. It's just not ever watch anything so that whenever people start talking to me, like, ah, I'll go play phone stuff. <laughs> like, I, don't oh, I haven't seen it. And then I, you just go to. And then if anyone's like, oh, my gosh, you should. You just look up from your phone and go, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then just I'll, right back to it. I'll put it on my list. Oh, um. 
I'm putting it on the list right yeah, now. The more you recommend it. And then it. you very exaggeratedly point at your phone and go, beep, boop, beep. <laughs> Watch dumb show. You got it. You you got it. It's in there. <laughs> Yeah, the more you recommend it, the more likely I am to watch it. Yeah. That's, that's how that works. And just like the OSR, the more you recommend it, the more likely I am to definitely go check that out. We're definitely going to check out the... I mean, this is our, what, third game that you could potentially say is OSR. Is this going to be the first... Is this going to break our streak of us doing a game that says OSR like three times on the cover? Yeah. We do a review of it, and then all the comments are, that doesn't count as OSR. Well, that wasn't OSR at all. Yeah, that's a weird outlier. It should not be counted. I mean... Really, this is definitely the first one that is so OSR, like incapable of saying it isn't because it is literally like, hey, we are just like a remaking old D&D with some new terms. Yeah. So what we have today is White Box Fantasy Medieval Adventure Game, um, which I forget the year, uh, but... It is very much like, I wish there was more basic D&D, like the one in the Red Box. Well, I mean, the opening thing of it is the guy was like so there was originally an osr thing that was like hey here's white box Mm -hmm. and it was you know a bunch of like throwback here's all the old rules with very minor changes you can play that and he was like you know what made me sad is that no one ever updated that or came out with a new one so i did yeah which is that's a neat thing about osr i will give that some credit and that really makes this, in my mind, the first OSR heartbreaker that mm-hmm. I've seen, where it's not a heartbreaker because it's retrying to do D&D. It is specifically retrying to do an OSR game. Now, this is a second printing. It was printed in 2017. I just checked. So I don't know if this is actually a heartbreaker or not. This might be wildly successful. I just have no idea. <laughs> so I feel like a, a game can't be a heartbreaker. if Unless are- it fails. Yes, it needs to fail or else it doesn't actually break a heart. So so I don't know that this is necessarily one of those. Well, having it's never heard of recent. it, I assume not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. Uh, like I said, I will give the, that credit in the OSR in general. There's a lot of sort of let's pick up these pieces and see what we can do with them spirit. And no one ever really seems to get mad about it. Like this book's in its second printing. I don't think anyone's ever been like, hey, stop that. I was planning to redo White Box at some point. I'm the original White Box guy. Yeah. And I mean... You know, he gives credit to the original author and is like, all this is from them, you know, this is super cool, I absolutely love it, but because they just abandoned the project, I want to continue it because I like that. Yeah, I actually kind of like the intro here. We've got the whole, like, uh, you know, if no one else is going to update it, I could do it myself. I don't know what publishing is, but I know how to use Word. And that's that's why I'm like, 1,000% heartbreaker yeah. all day, every day of the, well... No one's doing the thing I want, and I will make this thing that exists better. Yeah, I do find it kind of funny that says, like, uh, when I, I'll just read part of this. When I discovered the OSR, uh, I enjoyed every game I read, but one box stood out as the most versatile of games. Sword and Wizardry, White Box. Its conciseness was a breath of fresh air after the voluminous and verbose trend in modern fantasy role-playing games. And I gotta say, I, I give you voluminous. You know, I know Pathfinder 2 or whatever is like 580 pages or something, but verbose? You get the fuck out of here for calling the new games verbose. Have you ever read an old D&D? That's a guy who knows what QV stands for. Yeah. Well, I believe that's... The thing is, 
if you're one of those like, oh, I'm going to try and make an old Gary Gygax game. Yeah. You're like, I'm going to try and emulate that, too. I'm going to be purple as fuck. And this guy doesn't do that. You can tell he's not a Gary Gygax because in that sentence I just read, he spelled both its and voluminous incorrectly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I I, I like the straightforward nature. He's like, hey, I wanted to make a game. I don't know how to, but I'm going to fucking try. And he did. So kudos to you. Hire an editor next time, though. Yeah, God Um, bless. (laughs) And that said, it does immediately go into the like, I have since leveled up to a level two publisher. And I'm like, no, do that. Don't, don't, don't. I, I, I understand the, 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 the plan to be like, I'll use g- jokes about the ga- the games that people are reading. And I'm like, it never works, man. It did. You can't do that. Uh, no one's ever excited when you tell them you just leveled up. You <laughs> know, unless you're actually playing a game and you're like, hey guys, I leveled up in this game. Grats on ding. Grats ding. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's enough of making fun of the intro. Uh, like I said, I actually kind of, uh, I don't, I, I don't necessarily like this, no, I but appreci- I like the spirit of it. Yes. The spirit of it is very like, you know, it's why the old things are heartbreakers, because it's heartbreaking to see someone go like, yeah, I'm going to try my best and then fail. Yeah. And it has that spirit. And I honestly hope that this did fine. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, look at you, buddy. The heart that's going to break in this is me. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if this necessarily broke my heart, but... You know, you heard our intro to this episode because you're listening to it now, and it really does encapsulate the game in general, which is that this game is so afraid that someone on either side of some imagined role-playing game spectrum will be mad about something that every single thing in the book is optional and everything is apologized for. (laughs) It's, I don't get in my reading of it that it's, I'm afraid someone will dislike it. What I get is I have taken the original white box and anything I might have added to it, I'm going to go or not. Or, or please don't get mad. Okay. Uh, like, for example, I think my favorite one is the the base attack bonus and Thaco both being in here. I mean, they can't call either one of them that thing, so they're called the ascending and descending AC combat value systems. Yes. But they're just Thaco and base attack bonus. And here's the thing. They're identical. They, I know people who are old are inordinately proud of having memorized how Thaco works and Get over yourselves. It's just easy math. Stop it. No one gives it's a shit. different math. Go back into your into your uh, shopping carts on your internet and cancel that t-shirt purchase. No one gives a fuck that you can count down. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Thacko still sucks, though. It's the exact same, though. It is identical math. So this is funny because he has this whole section where there's like a page that could have been one page, but it's like four because he has to be, keep being like, and if you're using the ascending system, remember that if you add together your remember ascending. Remember when and, you add, you actually add instead of subtract. Yeah. But if you take, the, if you can calculate the difference by taking the ad, the Thaco of the uh, negative descending system and the positive system's uh, AC value, adding them together, they will always add up to 19. And that's how you know that you've got the system correctly working. And I'm like, just pick one, dude. Like, what are you afraid you're going to lose like four or five people who had bought this game if it just had descending AC the way Gygax intended? I mean, again, that's one of those things where I'm like, oh, I bet White Box yeah. just had Thacko. Yeah. And he was like, I'm going to throw this in there as a, hey, maybe also do that. Because this really feels like I took original D&D yeah. and just added a ton of shit. But instead of being like, hey, this is stuff that I definitely want to add, it was... Maybe you put this in there. Oh, maybe not. And I gotta say, when you say a ton of shit, it's exceedingly minor shit. 
Like, there's a section at the beginning of the species guy uh, listing in here where it's like, hey, some games will have all kinds of far-off, exotic, wacky species. That's up to your DM. You can do whatever you want. Anyway, here's Dwarf, Elf, and Halfling. Okay, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I've seen, I've even seen people do Redbox adaptations where they put Gnome in there because, you know, it's part, it's in the PHP, t- the second edition PHP. It's kind of become grandfathered in as one of the core races of D&D. Uh-huh. But not here, by God. Dwarf Elf Halfling, and all three of them have weird, onerous level caps, so you probably shouldn't use them. (laughs) Well, I mean, you also have the, like, oh, did you want to play as an elf? You can be an elf, whatever. Or just an elf, because remember when elf was a class instead of a race? Kind of, yeah. The way the elves work in this game is they can be either fighters or magic users, and every elf is automatically both but not at the same time. They choose each day when they wake up whether they want well, to you're not level. automatically both. You just oh, I guess you could choose to be one or the other, but yeah. you have you can be both if you yes. have the stats to bother with it. Uh so if you if you were like an elf and you're like, "Well, I why wouldn't I take this? I, I even if I have a low intelligence, I can still choose to also be a wizard and just not use it very often. At least then I can learn a couple of basic first level spells and add utility. Uh but yeah, they they just get to be both and you choose at the beginning of each adventuring day which one you are today. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Or, yeah, you can go back and play them the way they were in Redbox, where they're a fighter mage, kind of. Yeah, well, it's just, what do you have? Uh, Worse spell progression, worse attack, but I get both. And you're like, nah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, you have way less spells. You cap out, like, third-level spells or something, where this game goes to sixth-level spells in total, because it's a ten-level D&D retro clone. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so... What do we want to start with? Should we start with that alignment thing that was so funny? God bless the alignment in this. Yeah. Where... They were like, okay, let's try and simplify. We don't need that nine grid. We can take this down to just lawful and chaotic. And, and neutral. I th- and neutral. But I was like, oh, I actually kind of like that because then you're like, we're getting rid of the idea of, oh, if you're good or evil, like, no, we're just going personality type on alignment. Yeah. So you're like, oh, do you are you someone that's going to follow the rules and have a strict code? Mm-hmm. Are you more, like, wacky and out it's there? It's not even the first game we've seen that does a law chaos by itself axis. Like, Stormbringer did that. And it did it the same way, which is funny to me. <laughs> which is like, yeah, law is kind of, you like people and you're good and you like laws. And chaos is like, you don't, you want to do whatever you want. And then immediately after that, it goes right to... No, law also means you are good, and chaos means you are evil. And I was like... Then use those. Then, technically, <laughs> why didn't you just say, like, lawful good and chaotic evil are our only alignments here, yeah. aside from neutral? Well, it's just funny, because from the, after that sentence where he's like, hey... Because he has a second sidebar where he's like, hey, I know in some games, law, like, refers... Or lawful means that you are more likely to adhere to... Uh, cultures that have like legal strictures and systems in place where chaos means you're like likely to stay away from that. If you want to do it that way, you can. But in my game, law and chaos are the only thing, except one of them is pretty much just good and the other one is pretty much just evil. So go ahead. And I'm like thinking, why don't you just say good and evil then? Like, yeah, especially because, and here's my favorite part, for the rest of the game, you get all these spells like, ah, detect law, detect chaos, and they are very clearly just detect good and evil, but with the word changed. Yeah, which is weird because I'm like, Again, you could have just put good and evil here. You clearly wanted to. Yeah. But it also means, like, you can't be a good person and also enjoy freedom. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can. You just have to take ignore that sidebar where it's like, hey, if you're lawful, it means you like structural societies. And instead be like, uh, if you're lawful, it means you're good. Because that's pretty much what the basic model in this game is. 
yeah, but it's <laughs> it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, so if I don't follow any laws, but I also am just a good human, then I'm lawful. Yes, this is dumb. <laughs> You should just use good and evil. But that is actually, yeah, if you don't follow any laws, if you constantly reject every law of every society you meet. Yeah, if you're overall, just McCavity yeah, and you're running it, around breaking every human law. Yeah, but you are also constantly, like, you're just like, fuck you, I'm going to do good deeds, even if they're illegal. Yeah, you're, you're an abolitionist. Yeah. <laughs> then, then uh, yeah, I, I guess you still count as lawful. It, just, just use good and evil. It's fine. Or if you're that afraid of offending people who like the nine grid alignment, leave it in there. I mean, who's it going to hurt? That was the thing. I was like, every single thing in this book has a sidebar or part of it that's like, and you can use this or not, or do something different or do other things. And I'm like, why didn't you just go? Or you could have it be the standard nine grid. Just <laughs> throw it in there. You're already qualifying everything you do in this. You yeah. may as well do it for that, too. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember having read a book this I, I want non-committal. Yeah. Wishy-washy. What's the word we want to go with here? And I get that in so many other books where that has been a thing of contention where I'm like, dude, don't put a rule in your book and then say, but it's up to the DM whether or not you use this rule. Cause I'm like, that's bullshit. Don't put this on someone else. If you think a rule belongs in your game, say it's there. If you think it'll break your game, take it out. And here's the other thing. If people who are playing the game want to house rule your game and not use the rules you wrote down, they're gonna. Yeah. You don't you don't need to anticipate that they're going to do that and make them feel like it's okay because they're they've been doing it for decades and they will always continue to do so. Yeah, I feel like if you're going to write a game, write down the rules that you think make your game the best it will be in your opinion. Yes. Have those in there and then let someone else if they want to house rule it do that. You don't need to provide all possible house rules. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because a lot of the time... There's I mean, this has a house rules section it in does. it. There's a back page, a couple pages of the book are all just like house rules and then a big blank page. So if you want to incl include a bunch of house rules, you can. Uh, <laughs> most things provide two options. Either like, you can do it this way or this way, but then they always have like a sidebar that involves like three or four more ways you could do it with no rules attached. Yes. That seems to be the, the kind of house writing style is to be like, hey, you can use combat that everyone rolls at once or combat where everyone rolls individually or there might even be a third way a dm comes up with like pure narrative combat or mass battle rules anyway that's up to them though bye yeah i just you don't you don't have to give your rules yeah just, just say the best, these are the rules just write the best rules you can and don't worry about whether or not people are going to house rule them because they are yeah unless it's cinnabar where that's against the rules <laughs> I can't house rule this. It's against the rules to house rule. <laughs> what if I added a house rule that I'm allowed to add house rules? <laughs> what if I were to add house rules and disguise them as the game's rules? <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Delightfully <laughs> devilish, Raven C.S. McCracken. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where I think coming from a point of oh, I'm trying to redo an old game, mm -hmm. that urge to like, oh, I want to stay true to this, but also make changes, where if you're a fan, like this person is obviously a big fan of the old white box and was yeah. like, I want to rewrite it with some different stuff, but because they love it so much, they're like, I have to include everything from the original and also the things that I want to include instead of just saying, no, I'm going to make these changes. Yeah. 
Yeah. In fact, I'm now that I've been thinking about it for a while, I can think of a game we've read that had almost this level of everything just being optional so that they didn't piss off any grogs who may purchase it. And that was the second edition uh, D&D Player's Handbook, oh. where like half the game was optional. Like you don't remember it because you haven't read the second edition PHP in forever. But when you go back and flip through, you're like, Jesus Christ, everything I associate with this game, like that I remember, that I like multi-classing or uh, the skill system that they added. Poison. poison <laughs> everything's optional. And it's only optional because it wasn't in the previous edition and they were really afraid that people would get mad at them for changing things. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you can pick between four maybe classes. You never know whether or not the optional one is allowed. Yeah. That's because uh, you can play as a fighting man or a fighter, a magic user or a cleric or a thief. If you if the DM thinks that thieves should be in the game and you think that thieves should be in the game, please don't hit me. It's so weird to have that be a thing that you're like, let's be wishy-washy on one of the main classes. <laughs> I'm like. Why, my dude? I mean, I kind of get why. Thieves weren't in the very, very earliest D&Ds. They were added during the... I mean, we're talking like back in like chainmail era. They weren't quite a thing yet. So this game is representing like the Trinity, where you're like, oh, you got to have a a damage dealer, a tanky type, and a a healer. Uh, Of course, they don't do that in these old games, because MMO stuff hadn't really been developed yet. Uh, But Thief is optional, because Thief at one time was optional, so it better still be... Or else people might get mad. Uh, man. I like the idea of someone picking up this game in a store and flipping it through it and be like, Thief is in here! I'll never purchase... Oh, it says optional. Oh, oh optional. Oh, okay. Ooh, all right, all right. optional. Just, yeah, all right. <laughs> so, uh, you can play as those four classes, maybe. Yeah, and they get nothing. Yeah, they're boring. Like, all of... Th- if you're not playing a spellcaster, I mean, this is obviously for most D&D things, if you're not playing a spellcaster, what are you doing? But... This one, even worse, because it's like, hey, a fighter, you have a better attack bonus, Mm -hmm. and that's it. Better hit dice. They get, they get, I mean, yes, you'll have more hit points, but like their multi-attack thing is only if you are fighting something of one hit dice or less. Yeah. So you're like, oh, if I'm fighting something that I would already be able to beat the shit out of. I can beat the shit out of it faster. Well, I mean, the nice thing is that you don't get more dangerous as you level up, really. You just get stronger and more accurate. So, you know, even if you're a level nine fighter, you're still going to, oh, it's a skeleton with one hit die. And you're like, great, I will swing at it with my long sword. Okay, it does a D6 damage. So hopefully you kill the skeleton. Shouldn't I be doing a lot more? I'm like level nine. No, no, that's not. You're thinking of newer games. The problem is. You're like, oh, I'm fighting a skeleton, and I'm a fighter, and it's got one hit die. Sweet. I'm going to be able to do, like, fucking a shitload of attacks, like, level attacks per round against one hit die or less. Yeah. But if as soon as it goes, here's a fucking two hit die bugbear, you're like, well, <laughs> fuck me. Ah, damn it. These are the whatever's the next scale up from skeletons. Like zombies. I think zombies are also one hit die. Yeah, there's. So, I don't know. Specters. The. Ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> when you're fighting anything in this and you're like, oh, I guess we went to two hit dice. Well, <laughs> yeah. Fuck me in yeah, the ass. I guess I'm not doing much then. <laughs> so fighters, yeah. The, the uh, This game uses older versions of what hit dice and so on mean. I believe all hit points in this game are based on D6s. And uh, so when a fighter gains a level, they always gain a D6 hit points. Where the other three classes will have staggered levels they will hit. Where instead of getting a D6 of hit points, they will just get an extra hit point. Uh, with magic users happening the most often, at level 10, a magic user will have six hit dice and a few extra plus ones. And I think the th- the uh, the cleric and thief use the same progression that's slightly worse. Yeah. 
but yeah, other than that, I mean, you already know what we're going to say about Magic User and Cleric. Uh, Cleric can wear a lot of armor, but okay, it's great. It's got this part where it's like, you never know what a cleric might be. Perhaps they're a devout person who worships a god and goes out in service of them, or a temple administrator, or a secret assassin for a death god, or a god of poisonous oozes or something. <laughs> anyway, they all can wear whatever armor, and they all have to use blunt weapons because of quotations, secret religious rituals. Because of... And I'm like, what, shared ones? Is <laughs> Here, in secret religious rituals, <laughs> great power was <laughs> shown to me. <laughs> How come all these clerics have the exact same secret religious rituals that stop them from picking up daggers? Ah. <laughs> like, if you're worshipping the god of daggers, you'd think he'd be like, yeah, it's cool, though. I, you know what? I grant you my permission. Here is my boon to hold a tiny knife. No, everyone worships the god of hammers. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. Oh, maybe Thor? No, he's the god of thunder. <laughs> thunder. <laughs> uh, Man, I was just going through the monster section, being like, what, what, how many has a one-hit die or less? And it's like... gobos. <laughs> even shit that you'd think would be in there, you're like, nope, those are two. Oh, okay. Kobolds. <laughs> yeah. So, all of the ones that are just an elf or a dwarf... You find mm. some random peasant, they're one hit die. <laughs> you can attack them as much as you want. Yeah. Go to town on those peasantry fighters. If you go into some city somewhere, oh, you're going to fuck up the peasantry. Well, I guess that's historic for fighting men. <laughs> uh, but wizards get a spell progression, clerics get a spell progression. And they don't get as many levels because they go to level five, and level six is. Level six? Only Question mark? No. <laughs> Uh, I don't even remember. They also can turn undead. Yes. Uh, they also get all of them at a level 10, get like a capstone thing that's always just like you can build a keep and maybe attract some people who will work for you. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's the classic old you reach a certain level and now you have turned this game into the like property management game. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was trying to remember how thieving works in this game. If it uh, It's like a paragraph. It just kind of says like... Well, you get a D6 yeah. on certain skills, mm -hmm. and your thief level will increase how often you are able to do it. Because it's like, oh, if you get a 1 or a 2 out of 6, then you succeed. But here's the thing. Your DM is going to roll for you and not tell you if you succeeded or not. You always assume you do if it's stealth. Yeah. Uh, I would love it if you always assumed you did in every single thief situation. You're like, I'm going to pick this lock. Yeah, I, I did. did. Oh, yeah, that, that means the door's just stuck. <laughs> it's definitely unlocked, though. <laughs> I stole your dagger an hour ago. I, I, I clearly have it here. No, you don't. Oh, you've got a different dagger because I stole one of <laughs> this yours. This guy has, too. I stole your invisible one. I still have it, though. <laughs> the, <laughs> the other thing is... Guys, look, I'm on top of this wall. <laughs> the thief gets backstab where... As long as someone isn't aware of your presence, you mm. get a small bonus to hit and some extra damage. Yeah. And then that's it. So you basically get it once per fight. Because there is no rules for like, oh, and then I'll rehide and get my sneak. It's just like, if they didn't know you existed. So even if you managed to re-stealth, they're like, I still know you're around. Fuck you. Yeah, well, I mean, it kind of makes sense. It does. It's not like modern D&D where the thief is basically like an MMO rogue where... Yeah, you can hit a button that makes you invisible again, so you can keep backstabbing, because your job is to do goddamn damage. God damage. <laughs> and that may sound like I'm trying to take the OSR side and be like, the new games are modern MMO crap for babies, except I think all that shit is innovative and a good idea. <laughs> I think all that is rad. I think it improved these games. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so when I'm flipping through a game like this and I'm like, what can a thief do? One thing that they can't do. Oh, okay. I hate that. I hate that concept. Yeah, well, you, you should. That's why it's optional. And it, it's just, you look at the, the marshals of the fighter and the thief and you're like, yeah, I guess you can in very certain situations do something cool. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you just sort of swing a weapon once mm-hmm. and then you're done. Yeah. Whereas the casters are like, oh, I've got a shitload of spells. I can do a bunch of dumb nonsense. And this is old school mm-hmm. spell casting where they're like, I am not going to give you rules for this. I'm yeah. going to tell you in English what it does. Yeah, half the spells do nothing. It's infuriating. Like, they'll tell you that they do something, but not with any mechanics at all. Oh, yeah. I mean, Haste they won't is so even, great. They won't even tell you if it can do something that you would assume it would. The the spell Wizard Eye yeah. just says, oh, it summons an eye and it can fly around in this much area. It doesn't say you can look through it. It doesn't say it does. You're just like, yo, I can summon an eyeball and make it fly around. Check out this cool eye. <laughs> look, guys, I wasted a level three spell on some floating eye. Uh, my favorite one was Alter Time, which is just, uh, it's haste Hey, baby, it's Alter Time. <laughs> I'm gonna go pray. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch to one of my other personalities. <laughs> hey. <laughs> so anyway, uh, in Alter Time, you either pick haste or slow when you're casting it, and haste says you double your movement speed. That part the game covers. You know what that means. You can double your overland travel rate, and if you can normally move thirty yards in a dungeon during t- your turn, you can move sixty. That's fine. It also doubles your attack speed. What? What is? What is it? What, can I attack twice? Is that what that means? I can each time I could attack, I can now attack twice. This game doesn't have weapon speed, so it's not that. And you can't cast this until after the initiative order's already been decided, so it can't affect that. What are we doing? What does double your attack speed do, game? Please inform me. Yeah. Nope. I will not, and I refuse. <laughs> and initiative is just a d6 roll, so I guess maybe it's a two a d6 times two roll now. If like if you cast it before the battle, you're like I'm hasting us before this battle. So that will more likely go first, I guess. That's worth a third level spell. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where obviously you can be like, well, clearly because I know what haste normally does, they mean this. Yeah, and you're like, which, which okay, means sure. The game is built with an assumption that you've read a bunch of other games exactly like it. Yes, which is like, I would play one of those. Then why would I purchase your game if it requires me to have purchased a similar game? Yeah. A lot of the, I'm just going to write this in plain language and you'll figure it out. I'm like, yeah, you didn't. will do it. You didn't. You didn't do it, my dude. Yeah. You wrote down some words and forgot to tell me what they actually do. (laughs) You were right about Wizard Eye. Wizard Eye is my favorite (laughs) thing in there because it is just you summon an eye and it can fly around. An invisible, magical, quote unquote, eye that can move a maximum of 240 feet from its creator. Done. That's it. That's that's (laughs) That's, that's all, baby. That's what you get. What else would you need to know? It's an invisible eye. <laughs> okay, can I use that for something? Meh. <laughs> Why would you want to? Uh, I, I know there were a couple more that I thought were hilarious. I know that teleport always has like a 5 to 15% chance of just murdering you when you try to cast it. Yep. Uh, and it points out that it's a far more powerful version of Dimension Door, which when you look it up doesn't have a failure chance at all, and you're like... I think I'll go with this one. Who? You know hmm. what? I know it lets me tell you can go a lot further with teleport. You can teleport anywhere in the world with teleport. I don't usually need to teleport anywhere in the world. That's not usually as important to me as not teleporting directly into a mountain and instantly dying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, I would like to go visit my friend and they're, you know, a week's travel away. 
But if I might die one in ten chance, I could just get there now. Like, oh, wait a minute. No. (laughs) Yeah, and this happens a lot in a lot of different sections of the book. Um, Sort of just sort of not quite explaining what a thing does. uh, Or sometimes just flatly refusing to. Like at the start of the monster section, it it has this line that's like, hey, uh, we're not going to tell you all that much about any of the monsters in this book because that's the DM's job. Oh, yeah. We're going to... You want to know what color a green dragon is? Fuck you. It's not <laughs> the DM will decide. Hey man, you find a bugbear. They're sneaky. Okay. That's it. What do they look like? Well, we included a picture so you know they look like Gwildor from the Masters of the Universe movie. But uh, they kind of look like a like a less fucked up Tungus. <laughs> Oh, man, I hope at least four or five people out there know about Tumgus. <laughs> uh, and if you don't know what Tumgus is, because no one ever says his fucking name, why would you know it's it? It's the horrible AMPM monster. Yeah, it's that AMPM food cr- uh, creep, that that thing. Yeah. That, that thing's name is Tumgus. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, yeah, a lot of stuff kind of just goes unexplained. Yeah. <laughs> the We didn't get into the, the no, races. No, we didn't go into the races. Yeah, we got lots to talk about still. Yeah. So... You can be a human. Good for you. You're mm-hmm. a human. Nothing to it. Uh, we also didn't... Yeah, and you can be a dwarf. Uh, dwarves are angry, it says. They're angry and they're a little stumpier. There's no stat adjustments for the species. That's, oh, no. not, that's not a thing. Um, dwarves all- can be fighters or thieves. Yeah, it's it's basically you can be a human if you want to be anything. Yes. Because all the rest of the species are like, oh, you have to pick. Well, amusingly, the only thing that can be a cleric at all is a human. These other guys, I guess, just either don't like their gods or don't... Oh, want- yeah. Because everyone is like, you can be a uh, a fighter or. Yeah. So it's you can be a fighter or a thief as a dwarf, fighter or magic user as an elf, and fighter or thief as a halfling. Yeah, so no one can be a cleric but a human. Uh, I think that's still a holdover from really early D&D. I don't remember. Well, um, I know early uh, D&D, anyone could be like a fighting man. It didn't yeah, matter. Yeah, everyone that was the, fighting I don't man. even give a shit what your stats are. Because yeah. everything else had like a... Oh, you need to hit like an 11 stat in something to be this. Yeah. So everyone could at least be a fighter. I've always found it funny, even back to Redbox Basic D&D, where it was like, dwarf can be a fighter or a thief, and halfling could be a fighter or a thief. And I'm like, come on, guys, throw some variety in here. Make this more interesting. And if if thieves turned off, then woe betide the dwarf and halfling, who can now just be fighters. (laughs) I do like that for no reason, each of the three races that they give... uh, has a weapon and armor restriction area. That's right. And none of them are restricted at all. Yes. <laughs> the only thing it even remotely says is when an elf is adventuring as a magic user, they have the weapon and armor restrictions of a magic user. I'm like, yeah, that's not a race thing. That's a class thing. Yeah, that's what that's how wizards work. But yeah, it's very funny where it's like, hey, dwarf weapon and armor restrictions. Uh, dwarves can use any weapon or armor. Okay, why would you include... Halfling weapon and armor restrictions. Like humans, halflings don't have any weapon or armor restrictions. I mean, I assume it's future-proofing, because maybe they'll introduce another book in the future that has a few more species. So, like, uh, gnome, they can't wear heavy, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. Despite being slightly bigger than halflings, they can't use weapons that halflings clearly can. Yeah. Fuck you. Don't worry about it. Ugh. Uh, but yeah, the, the races are what you expect. Uh, dwarves are taciturn. They have a resistance to poison and magic. Uh, that's probably one of the more annoying things in this book is the resistances stuff, oh. where the book has added a basic kind of current saving throw system, but also retained all of those like save against death and polymorph and oh, yeah, wand got, staves and rods. They've got the saves chart, 
yeah. for the different types of saves rather than just like stats or whatever. Yeah, and it keeps mentioning every time they have one of those where it's like uh, dwarves receive a blanket plus two to save against poisons. Okay, that's neat. Uh, unless you're using the saves table, then they don't. Uh. <laughs> you could still include it. You could just subtract two or two from the d20, whatever you roll against that chart. No, no, you can't. You just can't do that. If you're playing a dwarf fighter, then he has a worse saving throw against poison than a than if we use the non-optional basic saving throw system. Up yours. Yeah. The uh, the dwarf gets the bonus to save versus magic, magic and can yeah. see uh, like stone differences. Yeah, they so can, they can detect slopes shifting. and uh, spotting traps and construction as long as it's stone. Yes. The elves can find secret doors mm-hmm. and have their usual re- resistances and so on. And the halfling gets to just get maxed thief level stealth out the gate. Yes. Because they on a one through five can be stealthy. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Which is great, because that's the only thing that's interesting about Thieves anyway. So, so you you're might... like, oh, cool. I'll just be a halfling fighter. I don't have any penalty to my stats, and I automatically get the only good thing about Thief at max rank. Yeah, so that seems like a, a very solid... That said, there is a downside associated with that. A ridiculously onerous level cap. I think it's like four... You can't become a higher than a fourth level fighter as a as a halfling or something. Yeah, you can be a fourth level fighter and sixth level thief, but not so both. You're, you're picking. Oh no, you can do both. No, only elf can do both. No man, there's nothing in this game for multiclassing in any way except for a big, long, weird section in the middle of the elf species explaining how they alone can do it. <laughs> no one else can change change class here. Ah. Uh. <laughs> So if you're a halfling, you better pick Thief or hope the campaign ends pretty quick. Huh. Now, another thing that's interesting about this one is um, they've flattened out the stat math dramatically. Oh, yeah. That was actually one of my favorite things in here was they were like, yo, my dude, you've either got a minus one, a zero, or a plus one. Like, we're not going hard in the paint on this. Yeah, three through six or whatever is a minus one, and 15 through 18 is a plus one, and everything in the middle is flat. Yep. Uh, you also, there's a bunch of... And they flattened out... Uh, the weapons, which are just, you either deal a D6, minus one, or plus one, or regular. Like, mm-hmm. there's no extra dice for it. You're either using, you know, a dagger, and you go D6 minus one, or like a two-handed weapon, D6 plus one. Yeah. That's it. That's all. Uh, very straightforward, although it doesn't feel all that great when you've got a weapon. You're like, I'll carry the biggest fucking sword of the world. Great, it either it does two through seven damage. Uh, but you're, meanwhile, I'm going to have a shield, which gives me a bonus AC. Yeah, and I do one less damage than you. Yeah, and then none of them feel good when you're like, and now you're going to fight this ogre. How many hit points does it have? 140. And you're like, I, oh great. You know, well, how do I stack my damage so I can get through this at a not stupid pace? That's the neat thing. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> you better hope the wizard has good spells. Oh, don't worry, he will. Or maybe he took wizard eye. Or maybe. <laughs> guys, there's an invisible eye flying around. You gotta take my word for it, but it's there. Don't worry, guys. There is definitely an eye you can't well, see. Take my word for it. I stole it. <laughs> uh. So, uh, beyond that, I mean, there's 
the the I thought the stat flattening was kind of neat. There is an XP bonus system associated with the with the stats. Oh yeah. If you have your primary stat, which are because there's only four classes, it's going to be strength, wisdom, intelligence, or dexterity. If your primary stat is a fifteen or higher, you get a plus five percent experience bonus. If your wisdom is five percent or higher, you get a plus five percent experience bonus. Fifteen or higher, you said five percent. Sorry, five. Yeah, fifteen or higher, you get a five. Yeah, a five percent experience bonus. That does mean that if you're a cleric. And you have a uh, a fifteen. If your you're getting stat, one of them, you're getting, you're getting the both. other. So you automatically get that ten percent. And if your charisma is five percent or higher, uh, you get a fifteen, fifteen or higher. You get a five percent experience bonus. Uh, that's pretty much just because charisma doesn't do anything else. Yeah, they're like, oh, I guess <laughs> charisma should do something. I feel the same way about constitution, which doesn't appear to do anything here. <laughs> it doesn't add to your hit points. It doesn't add to those weird save tables. Uh, no, man. If you've got a fifteen or higher, you get plus one. Hit oh, our right. yeah. hit point per yeah. hit die. Thank you. You're right. That does do that. Um, but yeah, it's just funny to me that charisma. They were like, "Well, we got to include it." Uh, what does it do? Oh, well, it has something to do with retaining henchmen, maybe. Except when you get to the henchman retaining section, it's just like roll a two d six and consult this chart. Oh yeah, I mean, it is how many maximum hirelings can I have, and it'll affect their loyalty because obviously this has a morale roll that you can do. Yes, and the morale roll is also very funny because it also has like words where they don't explain what the fuck that means. Yeah. That's, I think I'm thinking of the retention role, not the morale role. Where you like, whenever you're the, the uh, loyalty of one of your henchmen is questioned, you roll a uh, 2d6 chart. Yeah, you make chart. loyalty checks. You make loyalty checks. And uh, most of it is like, they are currently okay. Uh, they'll, they're fine, but they'll have a minus one to this roll on future. They'll find a plus one to this roll in the future. Or if you happen to roll an 18, it just says, loyalist. Great. They what does that mean? They, they, don't, they don't have to roll anymore? They does don't it, roll anymore. It doesn't say that anywhere. It I, does not. I guess you just assume it. Uh, yeah, the uh, the morale check is mostly for monsters, although I suppose it could work on you because it says for NPCs as well. Yeah. Uh, but that is honestly the answer to, well, how are we chewing through this fucking ogre's 150 hit points is, well, because each of you brought three dudes along. Everyone brought as many dudes as you're allowed to along, and the ones that don't break and run away will attack with their stinky short swords for the exact same damage that you do because you're not special. Yeah. I mean, you'll hit more often, mm-hmm. but this is just letting you throw more dice at the problem. I also love the pricing on hirelings. It's always hilarious to me where you can like just have a guy who comes in and is a combat man and will fight for you, and he costs like five gold. But if you want an assassin, why, that's 500 gold. But still, what if you got like Turbo Rich and you're like, all right, just go in there and assassinate everyone in that dungeon so I can get the treasure. Thanks. Which this, again, going back to the old D&D, treasure is experience yeah. in this. They even has a reason, which I appreciated, because normally the old D&D, it was like treasure is experience because that's the default assumption. Because that's how we can track. That's how we came up with it. That's so why explain it? Because the fir- we're the first to get here anyway. Fuck you if you want to know why. But he's like, yeah, the reason it's fun to track XP via treasure is because that way you can reward people for being clever to get around yeah, a fight. You, if you have someone distract a dragon and lead it away from its lair and then you loot the horde then you should get xp for doing that without having to kill the dragon and i'm like yeah that's fair that that exists though in modern games because you overcame the challenge it's not specifically death but whatever it's fine no it's fine it 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 works it's a reasonable explanation it also goes into like because it helps if uh you get forced into fighting an encounter that doesn't have as much treasure as another encounter you could have fought now you can't go fight that one like uh i mean the other thing is i'm just looking at it like ah but that just means you should also murder the dragon because it's like, well, you get XP for murdering, but you also get it for gold. And I'm like, 
oh, if I sneak this dragon away and steal his horde, yeah, I get the XP for the horde. Yeah, you sneak But the if dragon. I kill the dragon, I get the XP for the dragon and the horde. Yeah, you sneak the dragon away, steal its horde, replace its horde with traps. When it comes back in, set off all the traps, kill the dragon, double XP. Yeah, it's fine. Everything's fine. It works perfectly. Um, Except uh, I don't think there is any way to set a trap in this. No, so... there, there's certainly, I mean, I'm sure there is. It's just that you have to be like, uh, DM, I would like to set a trap. Please do everything involved in that. Yeah, there's nothing in the book <laughs> about setting traps. It's funny because I was just recently reading something about how 5th uh, edition D&D has been accused of leaning on the ask your DM crutch to a level that has become unwieldy. Like, it's always been there, you know, like rule zero, your DM will figure this shit out. But now it's at the point where your DM needs to figure absolutely out. They have to write the story. They have to adjudicate all these weird rules that don't quite work. They have to they have to know everything about how to build combat encounters because Lord knows we didn't give them the math for it. <laughs> yeah. And they've just kind of put too much on the shoulders. And But here we see one, this book where it's just yeah, everything's a DM's job. Ab- ab- absolutely everything. Like, uh, it does that do that rule zero thing in there where it's like, hey, uh, the DM, of course, has final say in all matters. All matters. And they should be on your side. This is not a set of, a game where you, you set up the dungeon specifically so that the players cannot beat it. They need to be given a reasonable chance. Yes. So, um, you know, I appreciate that. That's I, fine. That's baseline. That's the kind of thing where if I see the opposite in a book, I'm like, oh, boy, this needs discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the other things they've got in here are, of course, you've got all of your little minutia things. So your overland travel, depending on if you're like walking or using a horse or whatever you're doing, it's got rules for healing in case you're like, oh, if you don't have a cleric, you heal one hit point a day, except when you get to the end of a week of rest, you heal all your hit points. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's weird. Uh, it has the wishy-washy if you're at zero, you're dead unless you don't want to be dead, and then you cannot be dead, but you are bleeding unless you don't want to use bleeding, but you definitely have to bind those wounds, and that might just stop bleeding, or it might give you a hit point. Yeah, if you bind your wounds immediately after a battle, there's an optional table, a rule that allows that to recover a D6 of your hit points. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a whole section that's just sort of like, uh, here's a bunch of small side rules you might like, um, but... A lot of ones that aren't there, and when we uh, we'll note that a lot of them aren't there, and just point out that they're you know leave that to your DM. For example, diplomacy has like a single chart that's like the likelihood that a monster will attack you outright, uh, or or just rely on your DM for everything. But then right after diplomacy is jousting, which is like a whole page of definition as to how jousting works and how it's. Like a standard that if someone dies in jousting, you need to send a pit, a, a, or if they're captured during a joust, you can ransom them for an exorbitant sum from it's their family. It's so weird. And you're like, why is there so much detail on this shit? <laughs> what? What game is like, fuck yeah, jousting? <laughs> Pendragon, I guess. And even then, I'd be like, you're playing Pendragon, then what the fuck do you need this for? Yeah, exactly. Especially because in Pendragon, the whole thing's going to be a narrative that you describe as the event of the season or something. Oh, yeah. Because but here I, you're like... Especially because I was like, jousting... Jousting is an actual, like, set sport type thing. Yeah. Did you mean charging at a guy? Horseback. No, they mean jousting. Yeah. like I said, there's ritualistic ransoming if you defeat a, jou- a jousting opponent and manage to capture them as well or something like that. What fucking event is like, ah, yes, the king's tourney and we'll joust. And then you knock a guy off and you're like, this dude's mine. I own this guy now. And everyone's like, his wife needs to give me $50. And everyone in the crowd goes, ooh, fair play. That's right. That's exactly right. Yes. That wife does need to pony up 50 American dollars. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's the uh, that's the sports announcer. Uh, now, of course, his wife is going to have to pay him fifty dollars. Ooh, a hard blow there for <laughs> Sir Eldrick. Well, <laughs> looks like he's owned by the other night. Fifty dollars is the most since Sir Dread won seventy five dollars in nineteen eighty one. Now, of course, coming back to the jousting tournament, we can see on the grounds now they're uh, resodding, of course. Mm. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about that sod. <laughs> Today's sod here, courtesy of Sherwin-Williams, the paint company. We're painting the entire world with sod. And uh, back to you. <laughs> God. <laughs> Fucking jousting. How just, is that so important? I don't know why. It gets so much detail, and it's like, for what? It's in a game that doesn't include any rules at all for horsing, for having horses, or horseback riding, or or lances, yeah. or any of that. It, none of that's in here, but just jousting. Yeah, they're like, oh, we're not going to give you the rules for a charge attack, if you were like, I'm on horseback and I want to go, like, stab a guy as I'm riding past him. Oh, I don't know. That's up to your DM. Now, if you want to do it as an actual formalized sport, yeah. that I've got rules for. <laughs> the other, And yeah, like I mentioned earlier, that the start of the monster section has this whole thing where it's like, we're not going to give you any details on those monsters. And I was like, that's fine. Because, number one, they're very bog-standard D&D monsters. So anyone who's buying this Yeah, like game, a bog witch. It's yeah, very bog-standard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very straightforward D&D monsters, which if you're buying this book, which is a third generation copy of a copy of a copy, this is like near the end of multiplicity, uh, then then obviously you're intimately familiar with D&D monsters already, yeah. so you don't need a description of what a wyvern is. No, White Box likes pizza and has a wallet. That's all you need to know. <laughs> exactly. It's fine. You understand this. Uh, so if it had just said it that way, like number one, we assume you know what a white is, and number two... We don't. We wanted to pack in more monsters, and that meant that we're keeping it to stat blocks. Oh yeah, that's you fine. get you get just a tiny stat block, two sentences, and that's it. But then, meanwhile, there's a section in the book of how to divvy up loot that's like a page, and it's like this whole thing is like, oh, obviously you're gonna need to. The best way to divvy up loot is to divvy it up by gold piece value and try to keep the large pieces inside of one person's individual share, rather than saying that two people own portions of an art piece. Obviously, if any hirelings, they're going to want either full or half shares as well. Plus, it is customary to reserve a share for the next of kin of anyone who dies during the battles. Uh, uh the... <laughs> any gems may be sold for their monetary value before being distributed out via shares, and he's like... Why is this the part that you were like, this needs to be formalized? Oh, because it's experience. So you <laughs> need true. to be like, motherfucker, you have to get this accurate. Is that how that works? Can you literally be like, yeah, we're not using a share system. I'm the CEO, so I get 80% of this. So I get 80% of the experience. I mean, and then everyone attacks and kills you. <laughs> as they should eat the rich. They should. Well, you're, they're going to get a lot of XP off of you in those situations. Because yeah, you you've were, got a lot of it. They're like, okay, you can have 80% of the treasure. Now kill that guy and take his treasure. How fucking great would it be if that was the emergent gameplay of this game? We were like, uh, we're feeling magnanimous. We give all the dragon loot to this uh, a henchman that we brought with us. Congratulations, Shiny. You're the richest man in the world. And speaking of, <laughs> <laughs> I hear if we kill you, we get that amount of gold's worth of experience again. <laughs> Hey, well, Shiny, you you're not going to get any of it because you gave all of it to him, so you get zero experience. <laughs> no, you get it first. You get the experience. You wait till you have it, and then you give it to Shiny. And then when Shiny dies, you give it to Shiny's brother. Double Shiny. <laughs> you just got a long chain of peasants that you keep <laughs> being like, hey, man, you won the lottery, and uh, why don't you come into this room to collect? <laughs> Uh, it's so much simpler than just saying if you defeat the monster or the encounter. Yeah. <laughs> There's a magic item section as well. Oh, yeah. And this isn't a 
<laughs> this is a weird thing because they have a breakdown of if you reach a certain threshold of gold piece in the loot that you find, yes, then you, uh, can... you are there is a certain percent chance. Mm-hmm that some of that will be replaced with something. So if you get to, like, the first break point of, like, oh, uh, there's 500 gold. You're like, okay, there's, you know, like a 2% chance that one of those is a gem. Yeah. Okay, great. And yeah. then you hit, like, 5,000 gold, and there's a 2% chance that maybe one of these is a magic item. Yes. Yeah. Repla- you take a portion of the value and in- and replace that amount of gold or art pieces or whatever with a magical item of equivalent value. But it's so unlikely. All of it is, like... Yeah, man, you're going to roll percentile, and on like a one or a two, there's a fucking item in there. Yeah, with a reasonable chance that it's cursed. Everything's got a couple of cursed ones in there. Boo. I also appreciate that the book has the point at the beginning of the treasure section where it's like, hey, did you know that gold and electrum and silver and copper are heavy optional? If you want to make your players have a hard time, just give them 5,000 copper pieces optional. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, it's like, hey, encumbrance, that's a thing that maybe or maybe not exists in here. And if you're using it, then here's a way to make it pointless or, or sucky. Remember that every coin costs one or weighs one-tenth of a pound. Ah. I've always liked that that rule exists in old D&D where they're like, coins weigh one-tenth of a pound. And I'm like, they had some big fucking coins, didn't they? Hell yeah, baby. <laughs> I got 10 coins and this shit heavy. <laughs> I guess that explains why they were so into their whole coin standard thing. Cause getting a gold piece was like a big savings on your back. In addition to your like uh, ownership rate, uh, your actual wealth. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, the magic items include, you know, your basic plus one swords and so on. Uh, but also a bunch of cursed weapons with shields of missile attraction, po- uh, a potion that makes it so you're just drowning in air. Uh, God bless. Just, you know, that kind of stuff. Man, I love... It's all very boring, basically. (laughs) There's this huge fucking percentile chart, and most of it is healing. Uh, 76 through 100 is a potion of healing for potions. Yeah. And then just randomly they're like, oh, maybe you get some poison or, like, plant control. But then also you can get dragon control where you control a D3 dragons. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Excuse me? When do you roll that? Like, is it right before you face off against three dragons? And you're like, oh, I sure hope we get all of them. Man, <laughs> I hope. And it's a random specific type. So you're like, ooh, we found three green dragons. You drink it. They're like, ha this is for black dragons. Nothing happens. You're like, fuck. <laughs> If only this book told me what color green dragons were, but it left that in the hands of the DM. (laughs) These DM hands are so dirty. And he wrote it all down, but then the thief stole that paper. (laughs) Which is weird, because I can see the DM with it still. So there you go. Um... (laughs) That's God pretty bless. much it. Like like I said, there's a there, we've mentioned there's a bestiary and there's a magic item section toward the back. There's a section for how to run the game, which is mostly just like how to draw dungeons and how to how to assign players to be shot collars and junk like that. It's not yep. that it's very basic. Uh, it ends on a couple of blank pages for you to put your house rules in, and then we're done. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we can get into our final thoughts then. I guess why not? I mean, we're at the right point in the, the show. We made it. We did it. We filled the time. We got there. Mm-hmm. Baby, we did it. Oh, I do want to mention. Please do. That this has a deck of many things in it. Ah. And I love the deck of many things. It is near and dear to my heart. Yeah. I have a deck of many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a main item in one of our campaigns. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fucking I, love that shit. I personally can't stand it, but then again. Oh, I love it so yeah. goddamn much. We have different tolerances for rando bullshit. Oh, I 
fucking love random bullshit. And the deck of many things is the most rando of bullshit. Yeah. But it, I prefer the rando bullshit to be the stuff that I just spout off at the table in the middle of the gameplay. Uh, I, I prefer my comedy emergent, but I, I, I totally appreciate your, your love of dumb charts. Oh, I fucking love that shit. And it's much smaller in here. Uh, and it's basically red suit good, black suit bad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's about it. <laughs> Why not just take the black cards out? Just flip it. I'm not drawing one. I'm just removing the black cards. So you just flip it over and you're like, nah, okay. <laughs> But then you'd flip it back to draw one and all of them would be back. <laughs> that's how they it's get It's a magic you. fucking deck, my dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're playing open rules where I can just see the top card of the deck when I deal it. I'll scry two. <laughs> oh, you draw two. Uh, you immediately get the effects of both. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> See, that's always been my problem with the deck of many things. I, I know I, I have faith in you and your ability to play role-playing games, but every story I've ever heard about the deck of many things is just like, we got one, and then we just stood there drawing cards from it until we either got the wish or we died. Uh, and it's like, that doesn't sound like fun, and it also sounds like you'd replace the whole thing with a chart. I mean, it's one of the magic items that I loved so much. Yeah. That we random rolled one in one campaign and it absolutely fucked everything, but changed the campaign because it was like, what happened? Oh, I drew a card and two of us drew two different cards that each came with a keep and a bunch of land. Hmm. And so all of a sudden, even though we were playing like third edition, we were back to the old school edition of like, well, I guess I'm a fucking landowner now. The only time I've ever encountered one in a role-playing game was in a game I was playing in like high school, and the first person to draw a card from it got the your soul is trapped in a magic jar 500 feet below the earth or whatever. Oh, yeah. the It's the uh, you're trapped in a your soul's in a magic dungeon. Yeah, and the rest of us were like, nah. And we were like low level, so the guy just re-rolled new character and was just like, nah. And this, that was pretty much our full experience with the deck of many things. It was like, oh, yeah. This thing well, will fucking many- immediately kill you and there's nothing you can do about it. And so we were like, oh, nah. No, deck of many things is amazing if you're low level because you're like, what am I, level two? All right, I'm either going to get like 15,000 XP and a million gold or I'll die and then I just roll up a new dude. Yeah, no matter what, it kind of breaks your game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm just not, they're not my, but I appreciate it. If if other people like it, I'm willing to accept that I'm a curmudgeon on this one. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. and like I said, it became a thing where like it turned out there was some greater demon who was making decks of many things. Mm-hmm. And because we had random rolled deck of many things like three times, mm. we were like, oh, there has to be a reason for that. And it became part of the campaign of like, <laughs> who is seeding the world with these murder machines? <laughs> All right. What would you say is your favorite thing about White Box? I think the best thing to come out of this is the uh the number crunching down yeah smart the flattening of the math yeah going to a negative one zero or plus one and having all of your damage be like yo it's a d6 and then maybe a minus or a plus one i appreciate that because it makes it a lot easier for people getting into it to be like okay uh if i fucked up my rolls i don't feel bad too bad about it like if i didn't get a 15 or higher i'm not like oh well i'm fucked i'm like oh okay i guess i just don't get a plus one yeah all right sure that's fair yeah that's that's the best thing in this to me uh i think my favorite thing about this one is just the can-do spirit of its existence the 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 the, the (laughs) The opening yeah the gumption the part where the beginning is like i don't know what publishing is but i know how to use microsoft word let's see how this goes and i'm like dude i i respect that i appreciate your willingness to to say this game i liked doesn't exist anymore and god damn it i'm gonna write it back down granted 
this game is so basic D&D that I could have probably personally written it entirely from memory. <laughs> but uh, I still appreciate that you, that he did it. So that's neat. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fine. What's your least favorite thing? Uh, probably my least favorite thing. I want to go with the fighter. Mm, it doesn't do anything at all. Yeah. Because it doesn't do anything unless you are fighting one of the like six enemies in the fucking monster manual that are one hit die or less. Yeah. And you're uh, high enough level that you get the extra attacks against them and it matters. Yeah. Yeah. Because even when you're looking at like if you use the save matrix chart. They're like, oh, I'm slightly like one better at certain things, but still like one worse at other things than the other classes. So it's not like you're getting the kind of thing where it was like, oh, yeah, fighters also get like ridiculous huge saves. saves against like petrification or some shit yeah, or that poison. Was the, that was the second edition thing that I really wish they would have kept going forward back in second edition D&D where they were like, hey, look at the save table for fighters. It's fucking amazing. Fighters are basically like, fuck you, wizard. They'll just keep, they have so little chance to be affected by things that they will just get to you and murder you. Oh, yeah. And then by third edition, they were like, nah, fighters nah. should be bad at that because wizards are good at that. Yeah, the guys with spells should be fighting the guys with spells yeah and if you don't have spells you shouldn't be fighting the guy with spells yeah i missed that that bit about second edition yeah so that's it's annoying to have an entire class that's like i don't know your to hit is better yeah me yeah uh my least favorite thing is that we didn't get into it but in that section of minor rules there's one about traps in dungeons and trap detection mm -hmm. where it's like hey you could just have your players you could roll a d6 for every one of them to have them find traps and so on when they make their way through the dungeon if you want to optionally it's far more fun to have it so that they have to describe every one of their actions in the dungeon so if you want to have them find a secret door you could wait until one of them says like i check the room are there wall sconces Yes. I check to see if any of the wall sconces are rotatable. Are they rotatable? No. I will try pulling the wall sconces. Can they be pulled? Yes. You find a secret door. And I'm like, don't, don't turn the I game mean, into a structured call and response. That's some bullshit. I, it's not as bad as that. It's, it isn't. The section very much says like, if the players are incredibly descriptive in the way that they describe well, the game. They're, I mean, it is basically like, if you've decided this room has a wall sconce that you pull to open a door and a player says, I go check out the wall sconces. Don't roll to see if they find the door. Just have them find the door. Yeah, it says right here. And the player says, I examine the sconces on the north wall for anything unusual. A referee might automatically allow them to figure out how the secret door opens. If, however, they merely state, I search the north wall for secret doors, the referee will instead require a die roll. And I'm like, don't, don't do that. I don't want to play structured call and response where, where like, I have to rely entirely on the DM saying a code phrase and noticing it and then playing bop it with the code phrase until it works. It's not, it's my least favorite. I like assuming this is, I, I'm, I'm willing to admit that my least favorite thing about this game is deeply personal, but I don't like playing a uh, gameplay that's more call and response than it is assuming that my character in the game is competent and aware of their surroundings. I mean, the one problem I have with it is if your players know that you're like, oh, if you specifically say you fuck around with the thing instead of just saying I look for traps or I look for doors, mm -hmm. then every room becomes what's in this room and every item they describe, they're like, oh, look at that. Oh, look, look at that. that. Oh, look at that. that. And that's exactly what I'm saying is my least favorite thing. I hate that shit. I would prefer to avoid it. If my, if I say my character looks for secret doors, then I would like the DM and the game to assume that my character is as competent as it says they are. 
like if they have a high intelligence or perception or whatever stat it is that determines secret doors, that they live up to that standard and that it is not instead determined by me remembering to say, oh, the DM said sconces. I should check the sconces and maybe the wainscoting and crown molding. <laughs> and I mean, the thing is, it already has rules in there for both the elf and the dwarf with yeah. their, if you are, you have a passive chance of like one or two out of a D6 to find something if you're actively it's a one through four out of mm -hmm. a d6 to find something yeah and i'm like great that means if you walk into a room and then you just fucking leave mm -hmm. without saying i look for a door then it'll just do that or if you're walking through a hallway without saying i look for traps yeah the reason i don't like that is because it doesn't work in most of the other aspects of gameplay and we've kind of already come to terms with that and internalized it as a game playing society and when people break it, you notice. Like when people say, I'll roll to hit this guy. Great, you hit him, roll your damage. As opposed to someone who says, like, I intentionally aim for his neck and try to cut his throat immediately. Great, you hit, roll damage. I believe I should be able to do triple damage because I said I cut his throat. And it's like, yeah, that's not how the engine works. And your character is already trying to kill the enemy. That's the point of when you make the damage roll. It's not that you made half a damage roll and hopefully you remembered, to, oh yeah, I should kill this guy. Yeah, you weren't just like, ah, I am fighting a man. I should purposefully try and tickle him. Yeah. So you, in, in most other aspects of gameplay, we already assume baseline competency and simple awareness of their surroundings for these characters. I prefer it when every aspect reflected that way. I find that kind of like, mother may I tr way of signing secret doors to be in a special pet peeve. And so I call it out when I see it. It's my least favorite thing. Would you play white box? Uh, no, I yeah. don't, I don't like the, I don't, I mean, I don't really like old D and D to begin with. That's <laughs> fair. You can only do like two stories with it. That's the thing. When you're done reading this book, you're like, well, what can I do with this? I can explore a randomly generated dungeon with wandering monsters in it. Or I guess I could get into a jousting match. <laughs> It's, and I mean, I understand the old, like, yeah, I mean, the whole point of this is to go through fucking dungeons. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But if I want to go through randomly created dungeons, mm -hmm. I would rather do it with an engine that gives me something to grab onto. Something new. Because, I mean, it doesn't even necessarily have to be new, just something to grab a hold of and be like, yes, this is a cool thing my character can do. Yeah. Because this is like, what does your character do? Uh, hires as many hirelings as his charisma says, and then walks into a dungeon and rolls to hit and then doesn't. That's the thing, I like I was saying, it's part of my least favorite thing, but also just sort of the way I don't usually gel very well with OSR gameplay is because to me it feels all very formalized now. Like, everything is already determined before you even sit down at the table. You're like, well, okay, we're about to start the dungeon. How many hirelings can I afford? Can I, can I get a bunch of chickens so I can throw them into traps? I have to do these things because that's how gameplay works in these kinds of games. You, you let your minions go in and die, and then you try and not fight the monster because gold's worth the XP. And if you have to, you fight the monster. Uh, it, and you describe yourself touching everything on every wall in case it's important. Yeah, I mean, I... For me, it's mostly I want to have the option of doing something mm -hmm. when I'm not just playing a wizard. Yeah. Because no, in this, that. yeah. that's the only way you have any sort of, ooh, I can interact with stuff. Because, like, a fighter is just going to go, all right, well, I walk around until someone tells me to hit a thing. Yeah. And the wizard and the cleric can at least be like, oh, I fucking pass wall this shit. I've got options to do things. That is true. It's slightly better. Although, even then, their options are still being spent on exploring a samey-ass dungeon with the exact same randomly rolled monsters and traps and so on, as always. Yeah. I just, I, I lost the appeal for this a long time ago. I don't know, maybe if 
OSR players are older or younger than me on average, where like I'm exactly the right age that this kind of shit was the thing I played when I was nine and now I don't want to anymore. The thing is, everyone else is like, this is the exact shit I played when I was nine and that's all I want to play. I guess that maybe I'm just a modernist. I, I don't feel know. like we are the exact right age for who should love the OSR and yet. Yeah. The thing is, I look at it and I'm like, I it doesn't go enough in one way or the other. Yeah. I either want my game to be simplistic enough that it's narrative mm -hmm. or crunchy enough that I can really sink my teeth into it. Games like White Box here and a lot of the other clones are like, oh, there's barely any rules, but the rules constrain you to do very little. Yeah. And I'm now, like, Ugh. I already know that people are going to send us a bunch of, like, a couple of our fans who are big OSR dorks are going to send us a bunch of stuff. They're like, you guys just keep reviewing the D&D &D retro clones. Like, if you review, like, Godbound or, or Ultraviolet Gla Grasslands or something, you'll see a different OSR thing. Well, we did review Godbound, and I don't even feel like it's OSR beyond the fact that its author is a fan of OSR stuff. <laughs> Which is way more identity-driven. Uh, but so, you know, it's just, this one didn't win me over. I don't want to play this. I don't, I, huh. I already played this a bunch of times. Yeah. This already exists. I don't need it to exist in another book. I, I appreciate their gumption for making it. Someone needed it to exist and it does now. So good for them. Yeah. But I didn't need it to. <laughs> no. Like, I don't hate it. It's just definitely very not for me. And yeah. that's fine. That's not fine. every game has to be for me. No, no. That, but that's, that's the, re we don't ask like, is this right for you? Our, our question is, would you play it? Is in John, would you play it? And you know that you pull your answer from that as you will. Indeed. Yeah. So neither of us would play this one, but Hey, we will make characters for it. I guess. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make a character in this. Will it be a fighter or an elf or a fighter elf? <laughs> I don't even, we might have to find a way to spice up that episode because Ooh, I'm spicing it, baby. Because this is just nothing. You've heard basic D and D characters made before. You don't need that again. I mean, I'll make a level ten character and tell you how exactly the same it is as a level one character. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. That's what I was just thinking. I was like, oh, maybe we could make high level ones. No, no, we really couldn't. Unless we made level ten. I mean, 10 at that we... point, all it is is well. Now I get to tell you I have more spells. It's the keeps is what you get to. Basically, if we made level ten, I'm version, playing for keeps. In the bonus content, we'd be like, well, this is what my castle looks like. This is what my second in command is named, Joey. Uh, it's just Joey. <laughs> this is what my second in command is named, Joey. That's confusing. <laughs> yeah, we've had we them... hang out and we're like Joey, and then two guys go yes. Yeah, we've uh, tried to get them drunk before just to see if they fight over who is most Joey. <laughs> we've tried to get them drunk before to see if they'll fight or make out. <laughs> Ooh, that hot Joey on Joey we action. We want some Joey on Joey action, and we don't care what type it is. <laughs> anyway, wh whatever we do for the bonus content, if you would like to hear it, you can find it over at patreon.com slash systemmastery at the $1 level, uh, which unlocks all the bonus contents we've made for System Mastery for a decade. Almost a decade. So long. So close to a decade so now. So long. Uh, and so if you want to hear just tons and tons of uh, hundreds of episodes, uh, it's easy. At a $1 level, you unlock a bunch of them. But that's not all. There are more levels you can unlock. $2 gets you all the Star Wars content. Again, there's just a crap load of it. So you're really buying access to a vault. Yeah. And at the $5, you get it all. We give you everything we got. We put the nipples on the glass for $5. Uh, metaphorically, it's actually 2000 to get the real nipples on the real glass. The real nipples on the metaphorical glass is 1000 Yeah, that's right. Yes. <laughs> we'll put our nipples on metaphorical glass for $1,000 a month. Now, the metaphorical nipples on real glass, however, <laughs> $5,000 a month. That's right. That's because we don't even know what metaphorical nipples are yet. Exactly. Uh, we'll you got to pay though. us to to go to the lab and make metaphorical nipples. That's a lot of work. I might not go to a lab. That might be something I work out in a philosophy class or something. A metaphorical philosophy class, <laughs> which is a lab. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, so uh, please go to patreon.com slash sistermastery and support us at a dollar. I know the thing we just said wouldn't entice you to do that at all, but trust me, it's very good. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> and otherwise, thank you so much for listening. I uh, I hope you have a really good week. I almost said I'm Elan Sleazepagano. <laughs> I almost said I love you. <laughs> Thank you, Mommy. <laughs> Thanks, you too. <laughs> I'd like to say sorry to... My the, Mommy? The Mommy. All right. Thank you, everybody. You have a good week. Welcome to Character Creation Cast, a show where we create and discuss characters, the best part of role-playing games, with guests using their favorite systems. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter. And I'm your other host, Amelia Antrim. Join us as we sit down with game designers, podcasters, and fans of games as we dive into learning about different RPGs through the lens of character creation. It's a combination of character building, player advice, game design insights, and even a little bit of fan fiction for a different game every month. We tackle a variety of new and old games, both well-known and indie-produced titles. We learn how creating characters can tell us a lot about the games themselves. Check us out today anywhere you can get podcasts or on the OneShot Podcast Network at OneShotPodcast.com.